0: Welcome to Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. I'm your host, Dr. Don McDonald, author of the best-selling book, The Underdog Curse. We give vitalistic chiropractors a chance to learn from the best around the world, discovering how they overcame their challenges and achieved success. In order for chiropractic to thrive, we must have thriving chiropractors. Now listen up, it's time to crush the curse. Well hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Breaking the Underdog Curse for Chiropractors. This is Dr. Don McDonald your host and today I get to head down to New Zealand to interview probably one of the most referenced chiropractors that I've had on this show without being on this show and uh, I've, I met her, me and Brandy met her probably in 2010 I think at a Lyceum at the New Zealand College of Chiropractic uh, at their at their Lyceum event. and. Uh, and we've, we've, we've hung out a few places around the world, but again, we both travel a lot, so we don't really get to see each other a lot. So I really am excited to be able to spend the next 40 minutes or so doc- talking to Dr. Heidi Havoc. Welcome to the podcast, my dear.
1: Thanks, Don. It's about time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> totally. We've only referenced you about 500,000 times. Each other. Yeah, totally. I know. I know. <laughs> Too funny. So, um, you know, many people who are listening to this podcast because we have um a few thousand chiropractors that listen to this podcast all across the world, and so everybody's going to already know who you are. But I think it would be really cool just to kind of get back to the roots of of how did you find out about chiropractic in the very first place
1: see that's a bit of an, a bit of an odd one but when you ask it like that, because i always I always knew about chiropractic because my great grandfather was one of the first thousand chiropractors ever to graduate from Palmer College, but wow. I didn't really know what chiropractic was because right. I grew up in Norway, um, and my dad's a medical doctor, so I very much grew up in the medical model, and so I just knew that I had this you know family background but I didn't really, I didn't really know about it if that makes sense
0: yeah. Well, that's interesting because I, I remember uh, I, you were just recently, weren't you, at Palmer? We were, me and Brandy, I took Brandy yes. to Palmer, and we were there a couple of years ago. But I remember you going through the the mansion. I just saw it on Facebook. So that was that the first time you were back at Palmer, just to sort of see where oh, your it, grandfather came the first from.
1: Time. Yeah. So I was like walking the streets that I know he walked in 1920, and I was like, oh, it was it was a really quite a profound experience for me going there.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. Yeah. So you just thought it was basically you just kind of knew of it, but you didn't really know much about it.
1: Yeah, to me, it was like, you know, well, my understanding at the time when I was growing up was that it was this glorified physiotherapist, and that's what it was. <laughs> and then I ended up going to New Zealand because growing up in Norway, my, my mother was a Kiwi, so a New Zealander. So yeah. I went, as a 20-year-old, I went to New Zealand just for a you know, six-month visit to sort of revisit my roots. Yeah. And when I was there, I found out about the New Zealand College of Chiropractic. And thought, hey, that's cool. You know, I've got that in the family. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do anyway. And yeah. so, yeah, I ended up, I ended up going to, uh, to the New Zealand College. So it wasn't one of those profound experiences until I got there, which was, you know, and then it was like, holy, you know, I, I just love the, the philosophy. I'd actually studied philosophy at, at Oslo University before I left uh, Norway. Right. So to me, to me you know, the, the way we think and what we think and how we think and what is truth and how do you find truth and discover truth. And, you know, to me, that was all just so exciting. And sitting listening to Phil McMaster, who's now the president of the college, yeah. he was our philosophy lecturer. I just loved it. And then I also really enjoyed learning. So I had, uh, I had Bernadette Murphy who was our science lecturer. And I was also doing my um, bachelors in, in science at the same time. Cause that's just how the school was set up in those really early days. Cause I was right. the second year through.
0: You know what and I,
1: I love the learning.
0: I um cause I've interviewed a few people in those early classes like Nick Laurie and, and, uh, and, and it's funny cause you were in the second class. Um, were you in, in Kelly,
2: class. Yeah.
0: were you in Kelly Holt's class or was, you know, he was in the first class.
1: Kelly Holt was in the first class and Nick Laurie and I were in the second class.
0: Right now, it, it just because uh, you know, just to, to describe that, you're the second year, right? And I don't think the school is that formed yet. What was that like to go through education in a school that hasn't even really got their accreditation yet? <laughs> seems a little scary.
1: It seems crazy, doesn't it? But we just uh, um, the, the connection with the lecturers was so profound. Like you could feel that something was very special. We, we knew we were getting very um, special attention. If that makes any sense. Yeah. Like that, you could. It, it came from their heart and soul, and we, we knew it. Like it was just, it was palpable. So I feel like I got the best possible education I could ever get because I had, you know, three amazing lecturers that cared so much it wasn't even funny. Right. And like they they seemed to genuinely care about us. They genuinely cared about the profession, and we just got this knowledge and wisdom. And then when we started to do the, the actual practice, the practical component. So we'd gotten through three years. We then had another four or five chiropractors from the field. And again, unbelievable guys, eh? Just know just, we were so blessed. I, I feel we were really blessed. I mean, obviously there was more pressure on the first year that had to sort of pass all these exams for us to even exist, you know?
2: But,
0: <laughs> totally. But,
1: but that didn't come until about year five, you know?
0: Right. Oh, yeah.
1: Craziness.
0: That's great. So The year t-
1: ahead of us, they graduated only about five months before us because they had to sit all these exams.
0: Right. And they just they just got peppered, right? So they they are like uh they're warriors.
1: <laughs> oh hell yeah. Poor
0: subs. <laughs> so 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 how did your um knowledge of chiropractic kind of unveil? Was there was there a certain time where you kind of went, Wow, like that when you look back, like that was something that was really eye opening or, or a, an aha moment in school or was it over time?
1: There were many of them over time. And, and what I realized, because I mean, I always knew I was going kind to of book smarts. So that was, you know, kind of a given thing. I was, I was good at it. But but what also started to unfold when I was when I started practicing and, and in the early days at the college was that I have this very strong intuitive side as well. And that was quite remarkable to me. Like I'm a bit of a, like I did arts and crafts and stuff like that again also before I started. So I seemed to have a bit of a balanced right and left brain, if you know what I mean.
0: Which is crazy but for a researcher. Was, it
1: was <laughs> quite remarkable. I know, I know. But then that's probably why I'm such a good communicator of it too. Right. I'm not your normal one. <laughs> but I started to sort of see all these changes and feel all these changes. Like I could almost, patients would come in to see me and I could almost feel what was going on for them in my own body going, oh yeah, you're here to see me because you've got that right-sided headache that's blurring your vision. And they'd look at me and laugh going, yep, that's why I'm here. <laughs> like weird stuff.
0: Right. Yeah.
1: And this is where my desire to understand how the hell does that work, you know?
0: And so, did you, like, right after school and graduation, did you practice for a bit, or when did you decide to kind of continue on your education to get your PhD?
1: Well, this is also one of those funny stories. Do you want the uh, actual version or the. uh... (laughs) Uh, Give uh,
2: give us the actual version. (laughs) (laughs) Let's
1: go with the actual version. Um, I did my studies with a loan from the Norwegian government. And I had at that stage married and I had, this is my ex-husband yeah. and he was two years behind me at the college. So we couldn't afford to pay his school fees without me continuing to study. So I continued to study postgraduate after I, and unpracticed, and but I had, had two little babies at this stage as well. Right. So I continued studying. So we couldn't pay his fees without getting this loan. So I continued to study. So I practiced full time and then studied part time. But while I was there, so I went back and did the psychology of education and the philosophy of education, because I just loved education. And then while I was there, I bumped into Bernadette Murphy, who who was our science lecturer at college. But she at this stage, she'd moved on, because this is when the college was going through the financial issues. And they'd told their staff that, well, we can't pay you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So all volunteers. (laughs)
1: poor, Poor Bernadette was like, well, you know, she had you know, two kids and like, well, actually, then I have to go somewhere else where they can pay me. So she went, she, went, she went to Auckland University and she was now, so when I bumped into her and I was studying, she goes, oh, come, come do some research with me, do neuroscience. And I'm going, oh, Boone, I'm not smart enough for that. She's yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember you from school. You're way smart enough. And I'm like, no, I'm not. But anyway, she talked me into it. It's too funny. Honestly, I would not have gone down this route if it wasn't for that woman. Wow. And, and I... And I started doing research with her, literally to be able to pay my husband's, my ex-husband's
2: fees uh, for fee chiropractic college. School. Oh, wow.
1: Yeah. yeah. And then I loved it. Oh, I fell in love with it. Oh, my goodness. And that's just changed everything.
0: What was it about the research that you really liked that you didn't know that you liked until you did it?
1: <laughs> well, I was really good at it.
0: <laughs> yeah, there you go. I think,
1: I think that, that's the thing, Don. I was just really good at it. And I could do it really well and very quickly and it just seemed to be my brain just functioned that way I was loving practice don't get me wrong like I had no plans of like, my entire ambition with then continuing on and doing a PhD because obviously my ex-husband graduated from Cairo College and I didn't need to study anymore right. so, so na- now it was a choice for me but so, so I basically did my PhD as a hobby <laughs> part time <laughs> oh, but full time if you know what I mean exactly uh, well raising two little babies and of course I was the main breadwinner at that stage because he was only just graduated and uh but but doing this research thing like we could see it on the screen like when I was doing the recordings I could see the changes and the changes that were happening in people were in the brain not the spinal cord and I just knew I I just knew this was profound this was a really big deal and this was going to change the way the world viewed what chiropractic was but honestly, my entire ambition was to be Bernadette Murphy's research assistant. I had no ambitions for myself in any way, shape, or form when it came to this research gig. Oh, my God.
0: That's funny. And so did it happen, like, um, didn't you start working at the school before you had your PhD or something like that?
1: Yeah, that's another funny story. Well,
0: yeah, because I'd heard stories. that. I heard this story, but I want to hear it from you.
1: <laughs> so, so what happened was um, I was, you know, trying to finish off my PhD, my hobby, you know, my right. brain science research PhD. And, um, I get this phone call from Brian Kelly and he says, Hey, yeah, uh, we need a new research director. And, uh, we were thinking about you. And of course the first thing I told him to do was to F off.
2: <laughs> I, <laughs>
1: I literally, and literally, he he will laugh and tell you that's the truth because literally I had like two little babies, you know, I, I had, well, I had a three year old toddler and then, a, and a, you know, one-year-old, four-year-old toddler and a one-year-old and uh, <clears throat> I was working, you know, maxed out and then my hobby, my other part-time thing was was practice. Super- and so I was so busy, I mean, you know, doing the research as my hobby and, and practicing and raising two little kids. Um, but then Bernadette Murphy, my PhD supervisor, she ups and leaves the country and she goes back to you guys, to Canada. Yes. So now I'm I'm left with I'm really bitten by the research bug, but if I want to continue doing research, I have to be associated with a tertiary institution. You don't just do it in your garage, you know what I mean?
2: Yeah, totally. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, so, and, and, you know, at this stage, I'd sort of said no to Brian. There's no way I could do it. So then he, he rings me back again, and I'm like, well, well, Brian, you'd have to pay me out of practice because you know I have to. I've got one year left of my PhD. At that stage, I had this super flash uh, you know, top achievers, PhD scholarship from the New Zealand government. Uh, and so it, it meant I couldn't work more than a set amount of hours. I said, so I, so I can't practice then if I'm working for you, which means you have to buy me out of practice and I earn a lot of money in practice and he's going, yeah, no worries. And I'm like, oh shit. It <laughs> 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 so was this opportunity. So I, I had to make a choice. So I chose research because at this stage I was, you know, because now I hadn't just done one study and seen it. Now I'd done four or five, and I knew we were onto something that was like, you know, earth shattering. And so I, I, I took the job, and here I was, this freaking rookie. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't even got my PhD, which is your learner's license to sort of start doing research. So, yeah. so not only was I finishing off my Ph.D., but now I was reading all the frickin' countries' rules and laws on ethics and establishing a center and, you know, I was like, oh my God. Yeah, so talk about taking on a little bit too much. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, and how, how did you survive? Like, how did you survive? Like, there's lots of, you know, chiropractors out there too that feel like they, um, they don't have time to do what they need to do, but you still did it. How, how, did, how did you do that?
1: I think it was um, a lot to do with Kelly Holt's sixth sense of humor. Uh, if you've interviewed <laughs> Kelly, you yeah, know a little bit about it. And this, this kind of, uh, yeah, we have a name for it in, in Norwegian, but I can't think of what you'd call it in English. But anyway, because Kelly Holt at this stage was just volunteering to Great. help me in the research center. So we, we had like one room, which also happened to be the, the college's boardroom. So half the time I'd come into to work, I couldn't even get into my own room. There was a meeting going on. In my office, which also happened to be the lab. No, it, was, it was it was really crazy times, Don. But we wrote, we were really, I mean, I just knew I was onto something. And that was driving me because I knew that that would change things. So we wrote about four or five different grants. Kelly decided that he would, I say we, Kelly started to do his PhD, which was fantastic. Yeah. Because uh, he was he was literally just volunteering to help me because he was interested in it. Right. I mean, he's, a, he's a really smart dude, like really smart dude. So even his... Pre-PhD knowledge was fantastic. And we, yeah, we wrote about four or five grants and we got all of them, which we needed to get because all of them combined gave us enough equipment to even just do a single one of the studies, if you know what I mean?
0: Oh, wow. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but, but then, of course, we were left with having to do the five studies.
0: <laughs> right. So, <laughs> but, one, one but part's the equipment, the other part is the manpower to you right?
1: Oh, the manpower was just us. I mean, there was no money for manpower. But so... From, <laughs> So for me to do any research, I had to actually raise the money through grants to get the equipment. But I needed several pieces of equipment. You can't just get one piece. Like I can't just get the electrodes that go on the head. You know, I kind of need the bioamplifier and I need the, you know, all, all the other bits that, that you need to go with it.
0: Right. Wow.
1: So, but we, we managed to scrape it together and, and we got all these different pieces of equipment. And if it hadn't been for these people, you know, this is like the guys like in the um, Australian, Australian Spinal Research Foundation. You bet. You know, with Martin Harvey, yes. you know those days? And oh, yeah. even, even b- before Martin was president, this was back in uh, uh, David Cale's days when he was president. Like if it hadn't been for those guys and this little Hamlin trust that we had in New Zealand, there's our research team wouldn't have even gotten off the ground.
0: Wow, that's, that's crazy. Quite
1: remarkable when you think about it. It was a real group effort.
0: Yeah, totally. And oh and then th- that was uh, because, th- the, uh, the Australian Fund Research Foundation, was that where you actually got some of the grants from or was that exactly, also?
1: Exactly.
2: Okay,
0: yeah. cool.
1: That, that they, they were the main people that we got grants from. them, And then we had this little Hamlin Trust in New Zealand mm-hmm. that, that we got like a little amount from every year. And so if it hadn't been for those ASRF guys in those early days, we wouldn't have got the equipment together to be able to do the research that we've gone ahead and done. That's quite crazy when you think about it.
0: That's cool. So so since that time when you decided, so have you? So then you started working at the school and you've been doing that ever since, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then it sort of took over because at the, in the early days, like in that last, that first year I was working there as a research director, there was only a set amount of hours I could do, right? right. Because I was still finishing off my PhD and I had that flash scholarship, so I couldn't do more hours. Right. Uh, but, but of course you can imagine, right? By the time I'd written these grants, luckily by the time I'd written these grants and got all these grants, then I was no longer I'd finished my PhD. So so then I could go in and, and start doing those those studies. So so I was working full time, not that I was paid full time, but we won't get there. <laughs>
2: <laughs> exactly. If,
1: if you know what I mean? He yeah. we was still at this stage volunteering, you know, but, but doing, you know, um oh he might have gotten paid for two hours a week or something at that stage. It was it was really crazy. It was really our just personal drive. But but again, you know, we were supported by the school and we were supported by these 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 other guys that, you know, raise money. And I know that was a tough thing too, to raise money for vitalistic chiropractic back in those, in those days, you know?
0: Oh yeah. Well, and and especially too, um, when you, when you first noticed the chiropractic and how it was affecting the brain, were you the first one to kind of realize that or had you read that before or, or or was it just this total shock to you or how did that even happen?
1: note there's there's a couple of people that have shown that we affected the central nervous system before me so so I, so i kind of knew that we had an effect on the central nervous system and Bernadette murphy my supervisor she was actually the pioneer she was the first one to ever show we affected the central nervous system in a lasting way by doing this h reflex study in 1995 and so i was i started my my research in 99 with bernie again and there was um there was this guy in um, Australia. Um, Oh, that's his name? Philip Bolton. He had done some research in cats, like as a as a you know as a hobby thing again, as a side because his dad was a chiropractor. He's a chiropractor, but he I don't think he practiced. I think he was only like, only a scientist, but like a really bloody good one. Right. And he had shown that if you move C two, the vertebra C two in, in, in anesthetized cats, that that this was signal to the central nervous system from the deep muscle afferents, not from joints. So that you know was what kind of set. theories when I was doing my PhD into motion. There's also a couple of pioneers over in in the US, uh, like Joel Picard and and a few of his group that were looking in, again, in animal models and using activators to show the effects of the adjustment actually had an effect on the central nervous system. Mm -hmm. But really really showing the changes in the brain, I think our study, mine and Bernie's, when we first did the somatosensory evoked potentials would have been one of the first. And then putting the model together was I think very much because I came from the New Zealand college and had that vitalistic philosophy. Like I just took that as, that's just the way it is.
2: Cool. Yeah, exactly.
1: But you know, by, by then I totally moved away from the, um, you know, treating symptoms type model, biomedical model. And, and it didn't make sense to me, you know, it totally didn't make sense to me. Whereas this vitalistic model made much more sense.
0: Interesting. And so, and then, and then from that time, like everything you've researched, Since then, has that just kind of reconfirmed that over and over again?
1: Big time. Yeah. Because, I mean, when you think about it in the early days when we were starting out, late '90s, early 2000s, I mean, even we were still thinking, you know, bones out of place, squashing nerves. Right. Like, we were literally thinking we were relieving pressure. So, And and it changes everything, if you think about it. Like, we were, you know, every time we were sort of, you know, we were going to do, you know, we were looking at the upper limb. So, we're looking at the arm and how the brain processes proprioceptive information from the arm. So, of course, we were just adjusting the neck. Right. Thinking that's, that's what innovates the upper limb. But, right. you know, like, like it's, it's just crazy now. Now, now when, we, when we realize that, you know, there's, there's hardly any research at all that shows we relieve any pressure off any nerve root at all. And even if we do, like in, say, those guys that have a, a disc herniation or something like that, there's still no evidence that relieving pressure off a squashed nerve is of any benefit to you and your health other than relieving pain. Wow. So, like it's not, it's not even a good model for us. I mean, it, it used to be when we didn't have anything better. But what we're finding is like when we are adjusting subluxations, dysfunctional joints, whatever you want to call it. I know some people just about have a heart attack when I call it a subluxation. But anyway.
0: No, no, we like it. We like subluxation. We're all good.
1: <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> I know. But, you know, there might be other people listening. You never know. But, yeah, see, yeah anyway. So, when you, when you do adjust subluxations, what we've shown time and time and time again, is we changed the brain itself. And, and that's when it started to get really interesting. Because all of a sudden, hello, we're not talking about one little nerve root that innervates one part of the body. We're talking the brain that innervates the entire freaking body. Right. And that's when it started to get really exciting. Because now I realize, holy shit, we need to sort of rethink the entire way we viewed this. Because even the way you design your studies it depends on how you think it might be working.
0: That's interesting, right? And so did it take you a while to to learn how to redesign the studies um, with that new information?
1: No, because it, it came straight away. Like, that's what's so crazy. Like, I almost feel like we tapped into... You know, like when I was started out in practice, I was really um, like sensitive, like I was saying, and I could pick up on people. And I honestly really think that you're almost tapping into the universal intelligence. Or, you know, again, when you're working with a patient, you're literally tapping into their innate intelligence. Totally. You know, if you can really se- sense what's going on for them. So I honestly think that we were just tapping into the universal intelligence because, you know, right from the first studies we designed, we picked up on the changes taking place in the brain. And yeah. we had to go. Holy shit! So even before I finished my PhD, you know, we were we were already thinking brain and had and had the model worked out. I mean, the model has evolved since then, and it's yeah. it's now turned into a really lovely one with the Rubicon, you know, group interactions. But like it, it's it's not changed much since those really early days when we found the changes, the lasting changes after an adjustment take place at the level of the cortex, the brain.
0: Mm-hmm. Now and again, we'll kind of go all over the place. That's just my interview style—is yeah, kind of yeah, randomness. Yeah, of but um, so what what would the mechanistic researchers have such an issue with that model? Like, what, what, why do they have a hard time even kind of wrapping their literal brain around it?
1: <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I shouldn't speak for other people because I don't I don't really know. But no, but
0: just curious, just curious. You, like, yeah, why? What, because what? I, I was like to think of ask their, ask, their mind.
1: Well, I've asked lots and lots of questions because I didn't get it. Like. When I first started presenting it, you know, when I went into the research world, in the chiropractic research world, I slotted into the, you know, top, you know, level. It's it's an extremely political world. I had no idea. I was so fucking naive. It's not even funny. Right. (laughs) But because I came out of Auckland University, which was when I graduated, considered one of the top, you know, 1% of universities around the world, I slotted right into the, you know, the elite within the chiropractic research world. Uh, and and to begin with, they were just really blown away because I was quite comfortable with the subluxation and, you know, I, you know, I practiced AK, you know, I'm muscle testing and they looked at me as if I was some leper. Yeah. You know, thinking, you know what the hell's wrong with you? You know, <laughs> but then I was having all these personal experiences of being able to pick up on what my patients were feeling and muscle testing things. There was no freaking way I could find. So I knew I was communicating with their bodies their intelligence systems anyway so it was it was a really weird but these guys were my heroes and and like i was like you know front row watching them with you know big you know gooey eyes going oh my god these guys are so amazing and then and then it sort of they decided to turn on me you know because again this i i was literally just telling the truth that i was telling them what the research findings were but they didn't like it <laughs> and i'm like right. well well, you know, I mean, the data is what the data is. I mean, I can't freaking fake it for you, you know. And, and then, you know, they literally started to attack me. And that that started to really hurt to begin with. I mean, I was a big freaking oh, I, I <laughs>
2: Big
1: softy, And these were my heroes. <laughs> and they were literally attacking me. Like I was not able to interpret my own research. I mean, that's the most hilarious one. Oh, no. Don't listen to me who's done a PhD and spent 20 years doing this research. You know, listen to some you know, Cairo that doesn't have a PhD because they can interpret my research better than I can, you know?
2: Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course.
1: hey. Mm.
2: <laughs> <I> mean, <hello? laughs>
1: of course. Yeah. It's <laughs> like, craziness. So what, what I've come to realize, you know, to actually answer your question is I think that, that the research findings that we've discovered and what I present as my truth. Uh, it threatens their worldview. And because in their worldview, in that mechanistic world, you know, the, I don't know the body isn't intelligent it's just a machine and so i think that they, they would have to turn around and admit that everything they've stood for for the last i don't know 40 50 years was actually not true and i think that's what makes it I, i'm a threat to them because that's the only reason i can come up with that they would be that they'd attack me you know you you're on attack your from a place of fear
0: yeah and, and so just, that's my curious, take on it. just curious because again i'm not a researcher but like we, we know we need the research um, you, we when you're doing your research you have the brain model right how chiropractic affects the brain and we know yeah. now that uh, we don't use the model where chiropractic puts pressure on the nerve um
1: no nope, because there's no evidence for that and there's lots of evidence that we change the brain
0: right then what is their model that they research like what is chiropractic like do you know what what their well, model i'm
1: not 100 percent sure but i i think they just skip the why Like, they they don't care, or the how. They don't care how. It's it's all about treating symptoms. Like, I sometimes go and present at conferences, and I've shown beyond a doubt that we change the brain, and I'll get some of these scientists standing up going, well, who cares? Well, so what that you change the brain? I bet even if you slapped a fish around someone's head, you'll change the brain. And I'm looking at them going, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) Because, honestly, Don, the way, I mean, if you understand how you affect, the system, right. you can design better ways of actually helping people.
2: Do you, right. you know what I mean? Like the,
1: the better you understand how it's how it's actually affecting their system, their brains. Well, we can work out how's the best way then to affect their brains.
0: Mm-hmm. What
1: what we might find that some techniques work really well for certain brain dysfunctions, and some work really well for other brain dysfunctions. And wouldn't that be good for us to know? Totally. Do you know what I
2: mean? Yeah, yeah.
1: and and, and another another way of viewing it is. Say, for example, they just think it's spinal manipulation treats back pain, right? So if, if, if in their mind, then you just manipulate where it hurts, for example. Right. Well, no, no, that's not the case. Because if you actually start looking into, you know, even, even just something as simple as pain, pain is actually created in the brain. Right. So it's not, and it doesn't reflect necessarily tissue damage. So say you have low back pain, doesn't actually mean there's anything wrong with a low back. Could be that you've got a massive upper cervical subluxation so that the brain doesn't know what's going on in the low back and therefore can't control the low back appropriately. So you can manipulate the hell out of the low back, but you're not going to change the low back pain because it's a danger signal that the brain is creating potentially because you've got an upper cervical subluxation and you don't know what's going on there. Do you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Yeah, totally. So So now then you are applying this intervention in a study in a wrong way because they may be doing... Low back manipulation for low back pain and getting no favourable results, and then they turn around and say chiropractic doesn't work. Right. And I'm like, hang oh, on a minute. <laughs> what if they weren't subluxated in the low back? What if they were subluxated in their upper cervical spine and you you missed it? You know, you didn't actually do that.
0: And then that's another thing that we always say. What does the definition of work mean, right? Because the definition, What's the of, definition work, of what of of chiropractic working, like because because yes. working can mean it affects the brain it's still working, but if you're defining it as a as a pain in a certain area, and we all know if, if people, yeah, we can line up like 10 people and they can all have the same sort of thing and they all experience it differently. So it's kind of, yeah. it seems very hard to be able to have research totally linked just to symptoms when everyone experiences things so much differently.
1: Oh, it's extremely difficult, but that's the other cool thing about finding out how it works and knowing that it has this neuroplastic effect, because right. all of a sudden now, it gives us a different way of defining whether and into, uh, you know, whether chiropractic care has actually had an effect and whether that's a good thing or not. Like we're getting clever and cleverer ways now of showing that we're having a positive effect on the central nervous system. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden that changes everything. Because it's like you say, you can miss things as scientists, right? We did this amazing study for Kelly Holt's PhD in older adults. And we looked at all these different measures of sensory motor function. So again, like brain function that's relevant for older adults and fools. Yeah. And it was quite incredible because... You know, we we had all these, you know, amazing changes, right? Which was really cool. But then we also started to get letters from the people themselves thanking us for having done this study because they had all these other things that changed for them as well. And of course, we weren't measuring that. So, research misses all of that. Right. So, So, again, you know, you could have these people with low back pain that they've manipulated the low back. And they've had no changes in the low back pain scores, and then they'll say that chiropractic doesn't work for low back pain. But you know, they could have had all these other changes take place that then isn't picked up on. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, because Aaron asked that question.
1: Yeah, and so th- that's the whole—that's the whole point. You know, you've got to be open-minded, I suppose. But you know, I, for 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 some people, all they ever want to do is treat pain, and that's that's kind of cool. You've got to la- leave them to it, as as my. Uh, is my way of dealing with it. I just ignore the hell out of them and, and move on. <laughs> Keep discovering the truth and share it.
0: Well, that's, and, and so, and, and again, like, this is a great example of, uh, you know, my book, the underdog curse and, and feeling like you're an underdog. And so sometimes people take that underdog feeling and then they use it as an excuse and then they just get paralyzed in their practice and they don't do anything. And other people use that idea of an underdog and actually use it as fuel. How, how do you deal with that? Cause you're at all these conferences and oh, they I throw you under the, the bus the all the time. Like, how do you deal with that?
1: I very much use it as fuel. I mean, I've always had a bit of a, um, always been a bit of a rebel. I have a thing for, uh, you know, authority figures.
2: <laughs> Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, and,
1: and I very much, um, uh, I, I have this, you know, bleeding heart. And I've met so many chiropractors that have come to me in absolute tears after I've given a talk somewhere, like all around the world, come up to me afterwards and just said, look, you have no idea how much you mean to me and what you what what your research has done and how you're presenting it and, and like you know I was going to quit practice or I was going to this that and the other thing and some pretty bad stories that you know like and like it just moves me to tears so I know I have I know I have the the backing of the bulk of the profession that, that have been squashed that have you know that that have been really squashed down into that underdog um place yep and I know I make a difference, and I think that's when the big shift came for me when I actually became a better speaker too, because <laughs> up until then I was more worried about sounding like I deserved to be on stage.
2: <laughs> right because,
1: you know you know I mean, I was never never dreamed of doing this stuff, so for me, it was like you know it was, it was horrible being you know center stage and but but once I started to see the lights going on in people's eyes and realizing that I made a difference to them. Then it became about them and not about me, and all of a sudden it, it just it just got easier
0: that's the huge thing right when it always when it becomes about them because again, when we're all nervous about speaking or nervous about that that's usually our our issue right not
1: <laughs> and it's my stories yeah, and it was my shit you know like I, I think I actually had this big hang up from when I was five and moved to Norway because you know we actually lived in England before before that I was born in New Zealand, you know you'd never believe it but and and anyway and and it ended up moving to Norway when I was five years old. And, and for the first uh, six months of of uh, being in Norway, I c- couldn't speak the language, obviously. And and uh, the teacher, you know, you don't normally go to school in Norway until you're seven. So she was really pissed off that she had this five-year-old girl who the principal had said it was fine because I obviously needed to learn the language. So, But anyway, so for the first six months, the teacher that had me, her way of, of being pissed off with, the, with her, her boss was to just not speak to me for six months. So I was completely isolated and alone. And I had this, from, from then on, this massive fear of not being understood because that meant isolation and, and real loneliness for me. Yeah. And, I, and I did a whole lot of NET treatments. I, you know, those neuro-emotional technique, chiro things. Yeah. Because I, because I had such fear of public speaking. It was insane. Because what I figured out is I was speaking a different language again. I was speaking science. I wasn't speaking you know, normal chiropractic language. Right. So I had this it, you know, horrible, but it's again, it was my stories. So mm-hmm. once you can break free of those stories, it's very, very liberating, you know, cause now p- public speaking it, again, like it's, you know, every time I, you know, I have that same, you know, like the fear hits you, but, but I realise well, I'm not five years old anymore and I am speaking a language that people understand, you know, and it's, it's almost like a strength now because I reckon that's the reason I've spent so long getting good at translating the science because it meant so much to me to not be isolated. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and you care so much about it. You want it to come across well. And I think that's better than someone who doesn't really care and would just get up and just, because they would be more just tell everybody else what they think, not like really try to figure out how they can package this information in a way that chiropractors could actually take it and use it.
1: Yeah, so, so that's, that's exactly what I mean. So, so one of my biggest you know, um, you know, traumatic experiences when I, was, when I was a child has now become my greatest strength. Yes, and I I really like that, and I think it's you know we can repackage some of the shit that goes on in our own heads, and actually turn our weaknesses into our strengths. And I think that's a real positive note.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's that's totally inspiring. Now, um, so chiropractors out there um, that you know a lot of them are familiar with your work, Uh, some might not be. Um, What kind of studies are you kind of excited about that might have just come out or are coming out that you're pretty pumped up about?
1: Well, there's a couple of studies that I'm really, really super excited about because, um, right, so, so in a nutshell, what we've discovered is that the, when we, when we um, get subluxated or when the spine's not working properly, yep. it interferes with how the brain perceives what's going on in the body and the world around it. So the brain is less accurately able to perceive what's going on, so it controls the whole system in a, in a less than ideal way. And when we adjust subluxations, we seem to clear up that communication so the brain is more accurately aware of what's going on. So because of this, like for example, we did several studies showing that the brain, when we adjusted people, the brain could more efficiently produce force. So it's like we're making people stronger, but we're not really, we're just making their system more efficiently able to produce force with what they've already got. And, and when we were doing that with a, a really, um, Eminent neuroscientist who is not a chiropractor. So, and and what we were finding was that those changes were coming from the brain. So he then ended up saying, "Well, Heidi, you know, we've shown in several studies now that you know, you you make their when you do your thing, your chiropractic thing, you enable that person's brain to more efficiently produce force. So you now need to go and look at, and that, that's coming from a, a brain level. You you now need to go and look at people that have lost their cortical ability to to mm-hmm. produce force. You should do this in a stroke population. And of course, I just about." died and fell off my chair laughing, going, we normally get accused of causing that.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> and then he was going, we'll do you, and I'm like, no. <laughs> so, you know, out, out comes the church study, the Koslov study, the Cassidy study. So he, said, he goes, okay, well then go and do it. So we did. So we ended up in Pakistan, and I'm sure you've you know heard about this before. but yeah. And we, we found, again, like we'd found in normal people a 16% increase in strength with a single session of chiropractic care. In elite athletes, we had an 8% increase in strength. So still, still even in elite highly trained athletes we could increase their strength with a massive amount really considering yeah and then we went and did these guys in in, uh, in pakistan these stroke victims these chronic stroke victims that, that had you know still had difficulty moving their lower limb and they had a 65% increase in strength so and i That's you know huge. honestly i still get goosebumps to this day 65% increase in strength but of course the question then is like this is where it comes down to clinical research versus basic science so yes we've shown that we can change that efficiency of the central nervous system so it can produce more strength but the question then is does this matter to the patient so you know that's when you have to go back and do a clinical study and that's what we just recently did we sent the team back again uh, earlier this year and and they did a four week intervention period so they got chronic stroke victims again they got four weeks of chiropractic care and this time we're measuring you know like can you move easier, get up better using obviously proper, validated, reliable uh, um, uh, measures So we had like, you know, the the physios at the hospital setting where we were, they were the guys doing all of these proper Fugelmeier tests and stuff like that. So really, really exciting because, you know, if we start showing clinically that, the changes that we're seeing in the basic science studies, the neuroplastic effects on the brain, if we show clinically that these are a positive thing, then you guys in Canada won't, won't be denied the, you know, <laughs> our ability you'll be to be talk, to about, talk it. about it on your websites. <laughs> It won't, it won't be
0: on the forbidden list. We have the forbidden. It list. It won't
1: be on the forbidden list. That, that's exactly correct, dog. So, so and, and I mean, you know, and I and I get all of that. So, I, and I know where they're coming from. But it's it's almost a little bit hilarious. But but yeah.
2: That's <laughs> so funny. That, that's
1: that's one that's really cool. Another one that's really close to my heart is at the same time we, we've we've uh, we always try we're trying to we're trying to do three things at the same time. Like raise money. That's kind of my job do the research as, as much and as fast and as efficiently as we can, but also train PhD students and, and master students. Yep. So we had this one awesome, we've got four awesome ladies doing their, just finished their masters and starting their PhDs. One of them did hers in ADHD children and showed that, you know, there was an Im- improvement in reading speed in these kids. So we wanted to then do a clinical trial because again, you wouldn't believe it, but there's really no evidence. We have no clinical evidence when it comes to chiropractic care in kids. Yeah, you know whether they're on the spectrum or not, and that makes me really sad, especially when you see what's going on in Australia. Yep. So while we were in Pakistan, we also did a like a pilot trial in ADHD children. So these two studies are really, really cool because they're so necessary for us to be able to make claims. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? In practice. Yeah. You know, hey, yes, we know we can actually help your kid. (laughs) Right. But you, you can't do that without the clinical trials. So, so we 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 at least managed to raise enough money to go over there and study study it to collect the data but we haven't yet got enough money to analyze it so so we're trying to try to fundraise at the moment
0: that's good and we'll we'll talk about that at the end on how people can participate but like keep all you listeners out there keep keep a note because we we're going to ask you to help help out in a way at the end but that's really cool. And actually going back to that stroke study, it's funny because when I was describing chiropractic to one of my practice members here, it was about a year or so ago, and I was talking about how we're, you know, as chiropractors, we increase efficiency of the spine, nervous system, and the brain. And he goes, yeah. um, he goes, well, he said, that's actually how you increase horsepower in an engine in a car is you just increase the efficiency. And I'm like, yeah. that's pretty cool. <laughs> so actually we're increasing your horsepower, baby. So <laughs> yeah.
1: and, and I mean, the other cool one that I like is because we know we've changed this Particular part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex, which is really the seat of our intelligence. So yep. what we're really doing is we're making people more intelligent.
0: <laughs> right, better humans. <laughs> but
1: but but be careful! Do not claim that in in Canada at the moment because we haven't done those clinical trials yet. Okay.
0: No, no, no. We yeah, we won't yeah. say anything again. That's on. I don't know if that's even on the forbidden list, but I, you know, to be a better human, I don't think they've listed that one yet. But I think I don't think we can claim that one yet either. <laughs> <laughs> quite yet i'll just be careful with that one on. yeah
1: actually is there actually is research like i mean there's a study that's that's showing that we and no anyway look up uh, that, that I, I won't go down that rabbit hole anyway <laughs> ask me another question
0: <laughs> now everybody's gonna be like oh what's that what's that um <laughs> what <was you> <laughs> so um so, like right now in the future, kind of I, I know. And why don't we talk a little bit about this? Because I, I really I saw this you doing this on Facebook, and I, I wanted to participate. And it was about adopting a PhD student because you know we have kind of finite resources in chiropractic, and you know we we all say yes we want to donate to research and and, and all that kind of stuff. But if you can actually help produce a, a human, <laughs> a human, a better human, not a human, yeah. but like a like a researcher, um, they can.
1: Well, it's not. And it's it's not just a researcher, you know, Don. It's like someone who sees the chiropractic the way we see it. And I think that's what's so unique. Like Kelly Holt and I are, you know, two of the only researchers on the planet that see chiropractic the way we see it. And I think it's because we see it this way, then we ask those kinds of questions. So we're not asking questions like, because research is all about asking a question, right? We're not asking questions, does... Does chiropractic treat back pain any better than, you know, physiotherapy? That's not the kind of question we're asking. Right. We're, we're literally asking questions like, does chiropractic make you a better human being? Does it improve yeah. your intelligence? Does it actually make the brain work more efficiently? How does it do that? Why does it do that? For who does it do that? Using what kind of technique does it do that? You know, that kind of thing. Right. So we ask, we, we view the world differently. Well, I think we view the world like most chiropractors view the world. That's what I think makes us so unique.
0: Right. And why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about your idea on adopting a PhD student just so they can get the backstory behind that?
1: Well, it's, it's, it's breaking my heart watching, like I've watched these five, you know, amazing women do their masters and it's, it's a lot of work mm-hmm. and that's just doing your masters, but you've got to do all these courses in statistics and, you know, you know, neuroscience or, or engineering or, or whatever it is that, that, they're, that, that, topic they're choosing and it's it's hard work and it's full time yet you don't get paid a penny and on top of that you actually have to pay for it so right. then they're now moving into their phd's which is a four year full time commitment if you're doing it that's a lot of time out of practice they've got you know young kids and families and husbands and 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 like you know it just breaks my heart to watch them i've done it but i'm i'm crazy you know <laughs> well you'd appreciate
0: you would know, appreciate the help too probably
1: <laughs> all that, probably what would the reason that I did it right and I know that they it's because of us that they want to do this themselves and they see the importance and value of it but it's such a huge sacrifice and I just feel for them and I thought well if we could at the very least raise say 35 New Zealand 35,000 New Zealand dollars per year it makes a tiny dent it, you know it pays some of their fees and gives them a little bit of extra money so at least, you know, we can make a little dent on the finances for them as they are doing, you know, this massive sacrifice for the whole profession. So, so my thought then is look, there's got to be others out there. Like, we, because I have this Horvick Research Company, w- which, you know, is the only reason I can do what I do. Like, yeah. there's no way I could afford to do what I do if I hadn't created that company, which is thanks to my husband that came into my life. Because right. at that stage, all I was doing was giving everything away, and I yeah. have no money, and I couldn't even pay my kids' music lessons, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And he comes. Then it goes, there's got to be a better way, Heidi. <laughs> you actually need to look after yourself. And I'm like, hmm, what a novel concept.
2: <laughs> you yeah, totally.
1: Anyway, yeah, anyway, so, you know, because of that now, and the Horvick Research Company is going quite well, and I've got a whole lot of resources for chiropractors if they want to know what the science says on a topic. Because I used to get hundreds of emails going, you know, what's the science on this topic and what's the science on that topic? And stupidly, I'd reply to everybody, you know, which took a hell of a lot of my time. Yeah. But anyway. Now, it shows guess, where
0: your heart always has now, been.
1: <laughs> what was that?
0: It shows where your heart has always been, though. Like that's where your heart was, right?
1: It's what I want to do. It's what yeah. I. It's what I want to do. I want to share, but there is a better way of doing it, and that's yep. what I've learned. Like if I don't look after myself, I'm going to be useless to everybody, right? Yep. And that's that's the part, Dawn, that I didn't get before. Like I, I always had this story again in my head that if I if I made money for myself, I was being selfish. Yep. <laughs> and that that was a bad thing. So, but now I realised I'm actually better I can be a better resource for the profession if I am self-sufficient right yep. if I if my needs are taken care of then I can be more of a resource for everybody so so anyway so we have all this we you know Kelly Holt and I've put together this resource library online so we've literally gone through topic by topic by topic and we keep going through more and more topics so that chiropractors know what's available what does the research say how do you talk about it you know and especially you guys in Canada that gets so much trouble. We'll we'll talk you through all of this research on the brain and and also explain what you can and can't say and why, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. And then we make these wonderful little whiteboard animations. These are the ones you've got to be careful with in in Canada. We're going through um, Australia, the UK and Canada. They have much stricter rules on what you can and can't say in external marketing. So, we've got, you know, safe to advertise in Australia, materials, (laughs) materials, <laughs> safe to advertise in the UK materials because, of course, these advertising agencies don't agree with each other anyway, so you can say different things in different countries. Anyway, I won't go there. But anyway, so we have Great. this big resource library with these awesome little whiteboard animations. All of it is evidence-based. All of it is based on the research. It's all this vita- based on this vitalistic brain-based chiropractic model as well. All of it's safe to use in your own offices. There's nothing wrong with that in any country. Mm-hmm. And what we're doing is we we are giving away, you know, either um, the membership to, so that you know, if you wanted to support a PhD student, you can get you can buy access to the to the membership and have all these resources, and 100% of your fees will go towards a PhD student, or you can buy like we we've put together a lot of our, our popular whiteboard animations on a USB, and you can just so instead of buying a membership, you can just buy a one-off USB. Be with say 10 of these whiteboard animations on them and again 100% of your money we, we give it away to you and then we give all of the money that you pay for the USB to towards a PhD student so it's That's, it's a way of of us again just supporting these guys that are you know going through a very difficult time <laughs> both emotionally intellectually and financially and trying to make a little bit of a dent so that we need to safeguard our future because there's no point in me and Kelly burning ourselves out in 20 years and just leaving nothing. Yeah, exactly. We have to safeguard the future. And this is the future, in my opinion.
0: So all the listeners out there, I actually, I, I got that. So I got the little uh, USB with the, with the, I haven't even had a chance to look at them yet, but I, I just, I knew it was such a great idea. I wanted to support this. And it's $1,500, right? A person? Is that uh, yes.
1: Yep. So for the USB, it's $1,500 and that's New Zealand dollars, I believe. No, it's US dollars. I don't know. Anyway.
0: I don't even know either. <laughs> I just got it. But but I thought it was a great idea. So if people were interested and wanted to to uh, support that, where can they go to find information on that?
1: The best place is HeidiHorvick.com. So my name, my full name, HeidiHorvick.com yep. and if you go to the shop on HeidiHorvick.com, it shows up as I think item number two, says so support a PhD student USB. Yep. And and if they want to actually uh, support it and get access to the entire library because we've got over forty of these animations, if they wanted to do it on an ongoing basis and get access to the entire library, um, I that they now where is that? Um, then it's on the But I'll have to I'll have to send you the link to that.
0: Okay, John, you, if you send me the link, I, don't then even I can know put it, it in off the
1: top of my head. Yeah. Okay.
0: And then for listeners out there I'll put it on uh, com just in the show notes. So uh Heidi if you send that to me after the call then I can I can put that in there.
1: I'll send you both links so that you know people can do a one off or they can do an ongoing or you know monthly or whatever they want.
0: Okay, that's perfect. Because I think that's just so important like as we've always we've always supported especially the um Spina Rhesus Foundation. I've always donated money there but I think this is actually even this is this is kind of cool because you actually kind of invest in a person who's like to be you know have a whole you career are. right
1: and and these these ladies are they're they're super bright and they're really onto it like uh one lady uh, jenna jewer she finished her master's degrees while she was doing her chiropractic degree while she was
0: <laughs> raising
1: oh, two little children uh, and her husband was also doing his masters with us and 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 it was her husband jens that did the adjustments for the stroke study oh my so it was jens so- that went over so these guys are just amazing and like you know they're really good chiropractors too and so it's like you know to, but, but but she's so freaking bright i wanted to you know do a phd but you know like it's a real big ask to say hey can you just you know uh, not earn all of that money and instead go and do all this you know <laughs> nasty work for for four years full time and just give up all that money for your kids and your family. And hey, on top of that, you've got to pay for it. You know, yeah. like even, even the scholarship, it's peanuts compared to what she can earn in practice, right. but she, she is an asset for the future. Yep. You know, another lady, Alice Cade has done, um, she teaches at the college and she's, she's, she just took over teaching all the neuroscience, right? No neuroscience degree, but she, she's that bright. She took over teaching all the neuroscience from me and Kelly because we were so, so busy doing the research. Great. And she's now doing her PhD, super oh. fucking bright. She was the one that did the ADHD study, you know, yeah. and that's why we've gone on and done that. So like I could go on and on, like this, another girl did um, this qualitative research looking at vitalistic chiropractic, phenomenal, phenomenal woman, Tanya. This other, other lady, Aisha did, you know, super, super br- bright woman in Australia. She did her masters in um, autistic kids and got like, you know, top, top grades the top grade you can get. One of her reviewers said, this is the top 10% master student I've seen in all my 20 years of, of, uh, doing, you know, of, of, um,
2: While doing research,
1: master's projects. You wow. Know, it's, these are really, really clever people, but it's a huge, big commitment to, to you know, to take four full time years and pay, you know, with no, no income, like unless they're practicing on the side, which is what they're doing to survive. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, like we should really be paying them $150,000 a year, if you know what I mean. <laughs>
0: well, yeah, I know.
1: <laughs> in, in Denmark, you get paid a salary. It's, it's crazy, you know, and it's like, oh, we're never gonna get anywhere yeah. if we don't fund our own future. Exactly. And these guys are the sizzlemanizzle, you know what I mean, yeah.
0: It's the sizzlemanizzle manizzle of the future chiropractic, I like it. <laughs> cool. The sizzleminizzle.:
1: manizzle shizzle
0: we'll, chisel-man-izzle. we'll, we'll that, that have to trademark that. That may not be a
1: saying, but you know. It sounds good. It hopefully is now.
0: <laughs> cool. So, um, you know, I just <laughs> I lo- love having you on the on the podcast, and and it just um, just in kind of coming into the closing time here. So we have chiropractors all over the world, and I was wondering what what would you like to leave them with, like some inspiration to know that there's some hope. Because again, some of them like the way the political climate's gone, they feel a little bit burnt out or or stressed out or or disenfranchised. What kind of words of, of inspiration?
1: So what I'd like to leave everybody with is that everything that we've found over the last 20 years of, of neuroscience research is that chiropractors, when they adjust subluxations in people's spines, it improves that practice member or that person's brain's ability to accurately know what's going on in their body and the world around them so that they can function better, they can adapt better, they can respond more appropriately to what's going on around them and so I'd say don't give up please you know you are so important for these people's lives it makes sense why they've got these massive surveys showing that people that see chiropractors they they feel better they are more resilient they can cope more they can sleep better they can function better they some even have better relationships so I'd say if you you know do feel like that underdog don't don't let anyone get get at you and we'll work as hard as we can to get the research out there because Everything we've done shows that that chiropractic is such an awesome, awesome thing for a person's health and a person's life and a person's quality of life and their well-being. So just just don't give up.
0: (laughs) That's great because a lot of chiropractors do feel a little bit disenfranchised out there. So it's it's nice to, uh, and again, I want to thank you on behalf of chiropractic because um, you and, and Dr. Kelly Holt, you've put up so much of a sacrifice in your life in order to have this research out here that we can use around the world. And, uh, and on behalf of the profession, I just want to thank you so much for doing all the stuff you've done.
1: Thanks, Don. I appreciate that. It has been tough, I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> now, just for a fun little question to end off with, um, if you were to be able to zip back in time, I call it my Terminator trick question, and, and go zip back yeah. in time to right when you graduated from school and you were able to give yourself some advice, what advice would you give yourself back then?
1: I would tell myself to slow the fuck down. Is <laughs> the language? I don't know why I was so driven on such a high speed. Like I, yeah, I would have. I would tell myself to slow down, smell the roses, enjoy the journey. I'm learning that now, as a you know, 45 year old. But you know, I wish I wish I'd done it a little sooner.
0: That's great. Okay. Well, um, I'm looking forward to seeing you at the wave. Um, anybody yeah, who's out there. Wait. And then where are you heading after that?
1: Oh, God, I'm I'm going all over the place. Uh, Tennessee, Europe, Norway, um, it's about three other places that I can't think of at the top of my head. And then I'm home again for like a week, and then I'm off again. We're doing Chile this year. We're doing, ooh, yes. I'm not the logistics person. I just turn up.
0: <laughs> so that's great, though. You my, my husband
1: after. does all the touring.
0: that's great well i just want to thank you for traveling around the world spreading this message and uh and i really appreciate you being on the podcast
1: thanks don love to Brandy. you
0: You betcha and everybody out there you know we've uh we've uh, had heidi review some of the amazing research out there and uh and and really try to get out there and support all they can do to support us because that helps us get out there and crush the curse Thank you for listening to the podcast. If you receive value from this episode, please take some time to rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite place to listen to podcasts. If you know a fellow chiropractor that could benefit from this message, please share it with them. Because it's my goal to provide you with great content, please contact me if you have any questions at drdonmcdonald.com or find me on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you. So until next time, Dr. Don out.